Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Product Launch Podcast. As always, I'm the host, Sean Boyce, and founder of Next Step. Today, I want to welcome my guest and friend, Ralph Pierre Lewis from Quotapath. And at Quotapath, Ralph is the head of design. Hi, Ralph. How are you? And thank you for being on the show. Hey, Sean. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking to you today. Excellent. And we're looking forward to learning more about your work and Quotapath. So if you could, please detail for our listeners and myself what Quotapath is and how it came to be. Sure. So Quotapath is a software that we're building that allows sales reps and sales teams to better track their commissions and their quotas so that they can get more transparency into how they're getting paid uh, so that they can better track their quotas and, and get to closing more deals in an effective and timely manner. Uh, Quotapath kind of came about where our two of our co-founders, AJ and Cole, at their previous company, uh, found that there was a lot of confusion and a lot of um, a lot of confusion, a lot of time wasting around uh, tracking commissions and spreadsheets and a, a much manual process. And so they set out to build this platform uh, with the end user in mind. And I think uh, that is uh, that's been great for us in terms of focusing on product-like growth. And we've been able to build this platform for the end user in mind and making sure that they understand the top plans and they understand how they're getting paid and they can be more empowered to close more deals. That's fantastic. And I'm looking forward to diving in uh, more. There's a fair bit to unpack there, in particular the product-led growth stuff. I'm sure if you've seen, I've become a big fan. Uh, I've studied it very intensely and used it for my SaaS business very successfully as well too. So definitely looking forward to learning more about that. However, I'll shift gears quickly because I'd like uh, our listeners to learn a little bit more about you. So can you tell us a little bit more about kind of your area of expertise, uh, your background, and what in particular you focus on as the head of design at Quotapath? Sure, no problem. Uh, so after graduating from LaSalle in 2010, I started working at a financial software company called eMoney Advisor, uh, mainly working in the marketing side as a web designer. So working through and working with the product teams to make sure that we're getting the messaging out there to our, our, our users and our potential users. So that was a great experience there. Spent four years there. After that, I left and went to uh, NetPlus, which was an uh, interactive agency in, in outside of Center City. Worked there for about a year and came across another opportunity. Got to learn a lot there, and so I was kind of itching to find that next, uh, that next step in my career. Uh, then I went to work at 12C, which was a sports data visualization company slash startup. So that was my first taste of startup life, which was great. I uh, worked there for about seven months, and we were fortunate enough to uh, pick up steam and traction and got acquired by Comcast. So that was a, a really fun experience to go through. And working at Comcast, I spent time there working on um, the X1 platform with the sports app and sports voice. So that was my first uh, taste of putting together products and building products for, for users, for a large set of users. So that was a really fun experience there. Uh, worked there for about uh, two, years and a, two years and a half. And then I was looking for my next challenge. And I wanted to uh, get on the next thing that I thought would be a, a really good value add and building something from the ground up. And I was fortunate enough to find Quotapath. And I've uh, been here uh, going on, September will be two years for me, which is kind of awesome and kind of nice, but time has been flying by. Uh, and here, uh, mainly focusing on uh, designing, building out the product side of things, and just making sure that uh, our messaging and our branding and everything that we're doing here from a design standpoint is uh, together, compact, concise, uh, clear, 
and just working with the with the greater team to make sure our visual presence our visual presence is a solid one. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. So I'm curious because my background is not too dissimilar, at least from the perspective of worked at some larger companies, worked at some smaller companies. Once I kind of understood the startup world well, for me, there was kind of like a little bit of this no going back because I kind of caught the bug that way. I'm curious, did you have a similar experience and what, were your, what was your thought process back and forth between, you know, the, the big company tech environment versus the startup world? That's a great question. I, I actually loved it. I think diving into it for the first time, uh, I got a sense of just wearing many hats and seeing how a company is uh, kind of built from the ground up. And I just love the aspect of moving fast, using your best principles in mind, but making sure that they're sound, they're data driven. Um, and I just like the, uh, I, I like the ability to kind of like build something from the ground up and being able to look back and say, you know, this is where we came from, here we are today. And I think it, I think it offers a lot of room for folks to, to grow into uh, their career paths and figure out what they want to do while they're doing all these different things for the company. So I think it's a very uh, awesome experience for anyone to go through. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, there's never a shortage of stuff that needs to be done at a startup, right? No, no doubt. <laughs> Plenty of work to go around. So uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about user research. We've had a conversation before. You've talked about very interesting things you guys are doing with user research at Quotapad. Can you share a little bit more about that and how you guys are using it, what you're doing with it at Quotapad? Yeah, sure. So uh, the team here, our product team, has been working on um, putting together kind of like our user research playbook. And really that's just putting together a methodology for how we want to uh, test assumptions and test designs and overall just how we want to distill and get feedback from our users. So we put together <clears throat> kind of like uh, just outlined a set of questions and, and items that we want to test, whether it's specification testing, uh, whether it's design testing, uh, uh, and the last bit of it is um, uh, the actual build and the development side and usability testing. Uh, so putting those together has been great for us because we've been able to not only formulate uh, an initial starting point for our requirements and assumptions, but we're able to reach out to our existing customers, uh, existing users, and even non-users and just get feedback from them. Uh, get, a, get a sense of if we think our assumptions are, are right or if we need to uh, switch and take a different approach as far as messaging, as far as design, as far as usability. So that's been really great for us to just validate our assumptions and our approaches before we spend time uh, building out and um, putting products out there. Fantastic. And I have about a million questions to follow up that. <laughs> so one thing I'll, I'll mention as well, too, is I've recently done some usability testing for a consulting client of mine. And it is amazing how much you can learn doing usability testing in such a short period of time. So I'd love to learn a little bit more from you about how you guys do some of this actual testing and what the interaction with the customer looks like because I can't advocate for it strongly enough for anybody here that's listening, especially if you have a B2B SaaS product of your own, get it out there, get people to use it and, and process that feedback. But if you could talk to us a little bit more about how you guys do it in some of those details for both myself and our listeners. Sure. So I start off by saying any kind of research is great research, whether it's getting on a phone, setting it up formally, or even just uh, you know, having a, a little chat bot on your screen where folks can give you feedback and give you uh, some insights into the product. But the way we, the way that we do it is we, you know, set up meetings, set up formal times where we can meet with our, our users and use tools like Envision uh, and uh, for, for design testing. But if we're just trying to get feedback, just getting on a call with them on Zoom, 
and just uh, asking them just a set of questions. You know, don't want to lead them too much, but want to keep it open-ended so that they provide the context to us. So we'll, we'll sit down and ask them a few questions. Hey, does this make sense to you? Uh, if you were to come here, what would be your next expectation? Um, how, much, how much information do you expect to see here? Are you understanding the flow? And just really trying to dig as much information as we can get out of them. And in some cases, they shine light on new things that we didn't even realize. So in design testing, we'll put screens in front and we'll try to get perspective from, uh, from them and insights to say, you know, was this intuitive? Did you understand uh, the next steps that you needed to take here? And in some cases, we'd have to start from scratch and really rethink how we're doing it. But I think that's great because it, it provides us better context so we can make better decisions and then use those decisions moving forward for new projects and new uh for, for new projects and designs that we have been working on. So in many cases, we try to just uh, get them on a call and just one-on-one -on -one walk through the screens and questions that we have and just document everything. And, and sometimes if they go on a tangent, then that's great because they're thinking about something else that we haven't thought about. Yeah, I really can't advocate for testing strongly enough. And the kind of feedback that you'll get from your users can be super valuable because like people like, ourselves, right? We are working on designing and building these things. And then we wind up getting so close to it that to us, it becomes almost, you know, it's obvious over time what we're doing. And of course we designed it. So we also have like a little bit of bias there, but once you put it in front of somebody for the first time or for something they haven't seen, like a new design or they haven't seen it in a while, we never know how people are going to react to it until we actually test it with them. So yeah, I really can't advocate for it enough. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, the, 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 the piece after that, after you've done that testing and after you've uh, sat, uh, sat and gone through your flows and your assumptions and your usability tests, you know, really taking time to break down that information and quantify it or just document it so that we have it moving forward is super insightful because you can start to see patterns and you can start to see insights that you wouldn't normally get when you're on that call. You said something that was very interesting, you know, when you're designing, you're so focused on what you have in front of you that sometimes you tend to forget about the bigger picture. So using that research kind of helps you bring, uh, come back to center and really focus on what the problem is you're solving for and remembering that you're solving for all these different kinds of users and all these different types of personas. Uh, so it's always helpful to get any bit of information that you can get out. Undoubtedly so. And you said something there that I'd like to ask for more insight from you about, and that was quantifying it, right? Because Conducting the testing is important of and in itself, but then it's what do you do with the data that you've learned? I get that question a lot too. So mm -hmm. curious to learn more from you. How do you guys go about processing the feedback, quantifying it so that you can look for those valuable insights? Yeah, sure. So we, we sit down and look at the look at the data, look at the readout, uh, whether it's asking the question, you know, yes, no, did they understand this? Was this a little shaky? And just trying to distill it down. You know, we're, we're, we, we use tools to um, just put it put it in a view uh, that we can glance at and just um, be able to relate back to it. But I think a lot of times, like I said, it's different. Sometimes you may have um, numbers and specific data points. Other times it's just yes, no. Did they understand it? Were they able to make it through? Were there any hiccups? And so we break it down and in some ways we visualize it. And uh, <laughs> I shouldn't even say this, but in a spreadsheet. Uh, so we visualize it in the spreadsheet. And we just, we just, you know, uh, discuss it and try to figure out, you know, is this something that we need to move the needle on? Does it make more sense to, to roll out this new feature in a different, um, in, a, in a different epic or project? Uh, and just really try to make the best decisions for the whole product and not get uh, so tied down with one small change that we think we need to make uh, for 
uh, one reason, but making sure that we're making that change as it relates to the whole product and how we can make the whole product. Yeah, that last part I also agree is super important because it can be, it gets exciting, especially on the earlier side of things when you're getting feedback, people are using your product and they want you to do or change something that has to deal with it. But it's important not to be too aggressive there because you don't want to change something based on something you know every individual says. You want to look for those patterns, right? And like we want to build around the patterns because at the end of the day, we're building something that will hopefully scale to better serve the masses. And like that's going to require us to identify those problems, find the patterns in those problems, and then come up solutions around those patterns. And as a designer, you know, as a designer, it's very easy to fall in love with what you do. So uh, being able to step away from it and change from direction for what you're working on is, is definitely important because as you're moving quickly, things are changing. So if you fall in love with a certain design or a certain pattern, you have to be willing to walk away from it and change it for the better of the product. Undoubtedly so. And that is tricky. I'd say that's, that's one of the things that really adds a level of savvy to the professional responsible for that area of like functional responsibility of the company is being able to make those compromises because it's what's best for the company or it's what's best for the customer. Wholeheartedly agree. Um, so let's, let's shift gears for a moment and talk about something that you guys are leveraging that I have studied quite a bit and I've used both in my SaaS companies and for the companies that I consult with. And that's concept of product-led growth, right? Um, many of us believe that these concepts have been out there for a while, but it's been kind of marketed and rebranded and used, uh, largely being defined now as product-led growth, right? Using your product to qualify your customers, measuring time to value, all this kind of cool stuff, and I'm a big advocate for it. So you guys are, are leveraging this quite a bit at QuotaPath. I'd love to learn a bit more about how you guys are doing that. Yeah, sure. And this was new to me when I joined on to the team, which I think was a really big, um, uh, a really big differentiator when I was looking at kind of like my next step in my career and I really love the concept. So it's a little different than your traditional uh, sales model when we're, when, you know, when you go selling, selling software. So we're really focused on our end user, making sure that the end user has that value, making sure that they see that we're solving a problem for them and we're listening to them and we want to make sure that uh, we take their input and use it correctly and make sure that input gets to everyone. So mainly focusing on our end users to acquire uh, customers, uh, you know, keep uh, for conversion, uh, keep, uh, for expansion. And if the product itself can do a lot of that legwork for us, then it's even better. And we feel we can use it to, to grow our company and grow our business. Uh, so we've got option. We've, uh, we've set up the product in a way where users can invite uh, others into their workspace, you know, really start to see that value. And then as they find benefit and value into it, they tell their friends, they, they tell their peers and coworkers, and it takes a, a bottom up approach from how you would normally go about, how you normally would go about selling software and just really focuses on the end user. Fantastic. And I think that's a great real world example of the kind of power that product led growth is capable of. And you referenced it in terms of the traditional like sales led model of selling software, which appears to be kind of falling out of favor uh, as opposed to product led growth, which is like, just get your product in the hands of customers as soon as possible. Then you can really start evaluating what's most important, right? Are they getting value out of it? If they are, how long does it take for them to get value out of it? Something you had mentioned as well too, which is like generating that virality giving them the ability to collaborate and share with others and uh, enabling it to kind of spread in a very positive way, which helps mm -hmm. you grow things organically. I think that's a lot of the power that will come out of product-led growth. 
Exactly. And we're using things, we're, you know, we're, we're tracking everything. We're making sure that uh, folks are getting through the funnels and getting to that aha moment as quickly as possible. And again, going back and reassessing, okay, what do we, what should we cut out? How do we get that aha moment quicker? How do we show that value and show that we're saving you time and energy and effort uh, by using our software versus manually doing it? Uh, so there's a lot going on with it, as well as using the research, using feedback from our users when they, um, when they want to chat with us or send us emails and interact with us. So we want to make sure that we keep them front and center and make sure that we provide a really great experience for them and save them time so that they can get back to making more money, which I think everybody would really love to do. Good point. That's a pretty nice aha moment, right? <laughs> yeah, Use exactly. our products so you can make more money. I'm sure that makes people happy. So yeah. I'm curious to learn more about that too from your perspective. You mentioned that. I believe that's super critical. That's a key component to like a product-like growth system and using it, leveraging it the right way, right? is uh, being able to measure those aha moments, like the, the value uh, milestones that your customers are hitting while using your product. I'm curious to learn more from you. How are you guys going about identifying and measuring those aha moments for QuotaPath? So we've set up, um, at least right now, key items that we think are, are those aha moments, you know, getting into the system, setting up your plan, uh, adding your first deal and being able to see that, that clear transparency of, wow, this is how much I made off of my deal. And then in the future, when you have more and more, being able to you know, forecast and see, oh, if I go after this deal, I can better, uh, I, I can make this amount, this amount of money or I can put myself in a certain tier uh, so that uh, I can hit my numbers better. But we're using tools like Amplitude, um, uh, another, one, uh, vision, uh, another one that's kind of uh, escaping me, but we're, we're, using, um, we're using tools and we're, we're, we're getting all that up and running to make sure that we can identify those key metrics and, and, and uh, make make those changes based off of um, based off the data that we see. So it's still still early on, but we're we're making strides in that department to 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 better to better uh, gain insights from it. Very cool. Uh, another question for me is going to be: What's the best advice you have for someone in the B two B SaaS space? It can be around your work, you know, as head of design. It can be related to user research, product like growth, any of the stuff we talked about. What's some of the best advice you have for those looking to build and grow B2B SaaS businesses? Uh, from a designer perspective, I think um, just listening to your team. I think in many cases, uh, there's a lot of things that go on at a company and making sure that uh, you listen and you keep your ear to the ground as far as trends or things that are going on in your products and what you could be doing better. I think that's invaluable insights that you can gain because folks are dealing with the day-to-day -day, whether it's different departments or uh, different conversations that go on i think there's always something that you can use to improve uh, your products or um, your software based on uh, just listening to your team members and, and really focusing in on that fantastic thank you uh, this has been super helpful and valuable thank you very much ralph for taking the time i've got two more questions for you before we close out the show today uh, the first of which is what resources would you recommend or share with myself and our audience uh, related to the work that you do and in and around the B2B SaaS space? You know, books, blogs, events, anything like that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got a couple actually. Uh, there's uh, two sites. Prepared. Yeah, had to, had to. Uh, there's two sites, uh, growth.design, which is a really nice uh, 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 site that uses, uh, that breaks down a lot of uh, what folks are really doing well in the growth design space and product-led growth. Uh, so there's some really nice use cases there. Uh, I also use uh, reallygoodux.io, which is a nice resource just to uh, get inspiration around different um, uh, product-based uh, 
product-based, uh, you know, projects and things that we have to build and then UI elements and different components and best practices, really best practices around UX. Uh, been really, uh, really big on OpenView's build podcast. Uh, that's been really okay. big. That they have a, a lot of uh, good resources and a lot of good podcasts uh, uh, that they've been sharing. Uh, two books, uh, Product-Led Growth by Wes Bush and Inspired, How to Create Tech Products Customers Love. Uh, those have been really uh, insightful and diving into those have been uh, really great. Great. Can't say enough good things about pretty much all of those, but especially OpenView. They, I mean, they're blogs and pockets, so much value coming out of that space. Product by Growth, West Bush, obviously as well too. And I'm looking forward to diving into Inspired myself. Uh, I love picking up on these because it's great asking for the experts out there in the industry that have that experience. And then that's among the best ways to get, you know, great resources to kind of dive in and learn more. So thank you for sharing those. Yeah, and no uh, last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Uh, honestly, anybody who wants to have a conversation around product, uh, I'm always looking to chat and also looking to get gain insights. So anyone uh, in the product space, design, doesn't matter, always happy to have a chat. And uh, like you said, my name is Ralph Pierre Lewis. You can find me on LinkedIn or feel free to check out the Quotapath website. I'll be on there and you can find the contact info there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ralph. I'll include the links for both the resources and how to get in touch with you in the show notes. And thank you for being here and sharing your insight with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Product Launch Podcast powered by Next Step. If you or anyone you know is involved in scaling a B2B SaaS business, please have them reach out to me about becoming a potential guest on our show. They can email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N at N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. This time, we'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, Next Step Consulting. Would you like to know what the right next steps are for your B2B SaaS business? Are you trying to grow and scale, but you're stuck? We can help. To find out how Next Step can help your B2B SaaS business achieve its goals, please email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N at N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Thanks, and keep disrupting. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.